All right, good morning, Evergreen SGV. Uh, last week, I talked to you guys about how uh, my family was vacationing up in Washington for a couple weeks, and it was a wonderful time. And uh, last Friday, not, not this Friday, but a Friday, uh, two Fridays ago, you know, that I was, we were planning on flying back, and um, our flight was at 7.30 at night because I had a wedding, I had a funeral to do the next day on the Saturday. So I needed to get back, and uh, so we were all, all six of us were on the plane, and I fell asleep, I passed out, and, um, you know, before we took off, and about an hour and a half or so passed by, and I thought, all right, great, we're probably over California by now, almost home. And my daughter points, uh, you know, pushes my shoulder and looks, and goes, look outside, and we're still on the ground. I'm like, what's going on here? Well, I was mad at that point. I was like, I thought we were almost home. But evidently, at 7.25, there was someone, uh, uh, a cruiseman, a, a, a flight mechanic, a plane mechanic, hijacked one of the planes next door to us at a Horizon Air and took it on a joyride. So the, the, the uh, pilot said, you know, there's a major security problem. I don't know exactly what it is, but everyone's on checking the social media to see what's going on on the, on the plane. And certainly somebody uh, took a plane that was flying, doing loop de loops and barrel rolls and stuff like that. And evidently, this man wasn't a trained pilot. He, evidently, he didn't know how, how to fly a plane, but somehow he got off the ground, which is a little concerning. And uh, he said that he, he, he played a lot of video games, you know. And, um, but Richard Russell, who stole this plane and kind of shut down SeaTac Airport for the day and kind of messed up schedule for the next couple days, uh, was a troubled man in, in, his, uh, in a transcript that was uh, written on the internet uh, with his conversation with a traffic control person. He described himself as a broken man. And this ride would end up in a devastating end. He would end up crashing uh, in, the, in the middle of the, uh, on, in the island in, in the Puget Sound, in the, which is a body of water. And he'd end up killing himself. He called himself a broken man. And this guy is a sad ending to a life that was obviously filled with lies. Obviously a life that felt like it had no hope. And today we're going to dig into a couple of lives here where spiritual blindness was leading to devastating results in the book of John. Okay, so let me just pray and let's ask the Lord to bless this message. May it sanctify our hearts to love Him more. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that... We get to preach your word. Thank you that you've designed your Bible to be preached, to be learned, so that we can learn more about your son, Jesus, so we will love him more. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that our hearts will be open to hear from you, that we will desire you more, we will want you more, we will see that you're better than anything this world has to offer. So, Father, allow me to preach your word with power and conviction, with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be at a John uh, uh, chapter 9. So please rise if you can. We're John chapter 9, verse 13. A little bit of context. In John chapter 9, earlier, Jesus heals a blind man. Prior to that, the, the, the religious rulers, the Pharisees, want to kill Jesus because Jesus claimed to be God. And so what Jesus does is he goes out and heals a blind man in no unclear terms, proving his words that he is God himself. So, and, and there's a lot of controversy that arises of this blind man. This is where we pick up at a John chapter 9, verse 13. Okay, so this is God's word. We'll go to verse 34. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. 
Now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received this sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Verse 17, They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until, this is when they believed, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned him, asking, Is this your son who, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered him and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Second interrogation happens for the blind man. So a second time they called the man who had been uh, blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him, abused him, and said, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet my, he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears them. Verse 32, since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Verse 34, finishing up, they answered him, you were born entirely in sin. And are you teaching us? So they put him out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Help us to love your son more through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So this event was unavoidable, completely unavoidable by the Pharisees, the religious rulers. Uh, the, the, the discussion, the underlining discussions, is Jesus the Messiah? Jesus heals a blind man. So th this evidence is staring at them in the eyes of this uh, blind man who can now see. It's glaring. They cannot dodge this issue. And the goal now for the Pharisees to do damage control. Their goal is to discredit what Jesus has done. So instead of having compassion for this man, they lack compassion. Instead of having a celebration and having an opportunity for this man to testify of God's goodness, they interrogate this guy. And eventually, instead of using him to glorify God, they kick him out of the synagogue. So they had it all backwards. Why did the Pharisees act this way? Why did the religious rulers act this way? 
Well, clearly, they had spiritual blindness. They're doing devastating things, contrary to what would we, any of us would think would be reasonable response, and they're doing unreasonable things. And their source of blindness was lies. They believed in a lie. And Jesus, in, in uh, chapter 8 of John, said, You are your fa- of your father, the devil, who is the father of lies. The father of lies, Satan, this is how he attacks people. Just like how he attacked this man to believe in some lie, to crash the plane, go up, up on a plane, go on a suicide mission. The Pharisees were infected, infested with lies. And one of the big lies that they believed is this, that legalism or rule-keeping is what got them in a good standing with God. How well can I keep up these rules? And not just only rules that are written in the Bible. They made up more rules, extra-biblical rules, man-made rules, heavy burdens. Like, can you keep, keep this up? If you could keep this up, you'll be right with God. They actually believed this. And since they were experts of rule-keeping, this gave them power over, over the people. Really, I think this is what the issue was. How can we maintain power over the people? Okay? And the issue was this. Jesus was a Sabbath-breaker. And John MacArthur writes this about, about this uh, moment, about their interpretation of the Sabbath-breaking. In their eyes, Jesus had broken the Sabbath, not because he had violated any of the divine Sabbath regulations revealed in Scripture, the Bible, but because he had ignored, Jesus had ignored the restrictions and extra-biblical, extra-biblical man-made applications of the rabbis. Okay? For example, the Lord had made mud from his saliva and some dust, which supposedly violated the prohibition against kneading on the Sabbath. All right, this was a violation that the the rabbis, the Pharisees, had put on the people. You're not able to knead dough, okay, on the Sabbath. This is a violation. So since he made mud or clay with with the saliva and the dust, Jesus must have needed, therefore Jesus was a sinner, therefore Jesus is a Sabbath breaker. Now because of this, their spiritual blindness, therefore the interrogation happens. They're starting to interrogate this man, totally trying to discredit what Christ has done. The blind man, this is the first round of interrogations for the blind man. Okay? And they ask him, how do you see? And this man, just matter of fact, just matter, he, well, this man made clay, he put it on my eyes, I washed it out, now I see very matter of fact, clearly a miracle, clearly a miracle. I was blind from birth, and now I could miraculously see the day of light. You know, the ver- verse 16 says this, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath, as we talked about. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs or miracles? And there was a division among them. There was a division amongst the Pharisees. Perhaps some of the Pharisees were starting to lose their spiritual blindness. Perhaps. Perhaps they're able to see. So they asked him, who is he? Now this man who was spiritually blind, who's physically able to see now, his spiritual, uh, spiritual blindness is starting to go away. And he answered, he's a prophet. All right, prophets are from God. So minimally, he's saying, this man, Jesus, is from God. He's not a sinner. He's from God. All right? So they try to discredit this, uh, this man as if we really the one who was healed. Because there was a little bit of confusion. Maybe he just looks like the guy that was sitting at the temple gates blind all these years. Maybe he's a lookalike. He's really not him, okay? So they go to uh, find his mom and dad, and they interrogate the mom and dad now. This is what happens. 
in an attempt to discredit the healing, they ask him, is he your son? They confidently answered, yes, this is our son. And then was he born blind? Yes, he was born blind. And this, in essence, confirmed the miracle. This is, un, this is undeniable. This is the man who was blind, and now he sees. Clearly screaming at the Pharisees that Jesus is the Messiah. And then, and then they ask him another question. Now, how does he see? This gets a little bit deeper now. This gets, uh, they, they vet the parents even more. How does he now see? All right. And their answer, as we just heard in the reading of the scripture, says, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. So they pass the buck. They, they're not willing to give God the glory. They're not willing to uh, vet for Christ. They're not willing. They just say, you know what? Ask him. He's old enough. He's a grown man. Ask him. And the Bible clearly talks about in verse 22 and 23 why they did that. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. They feared the Jews, the rulers. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Verse 23, for this reason his parents said, he is of age, ask him. We don't want to get kicked out. Now, this is a significant thing, okay? Being kicked out of the synagogue system was a very significant thing for the Jewish people. Um, William Hendrickson writes, this is a a Bible commentator, he he says, the one who was unsynagogued was virtually cut off from the religious and social life of Israel. From every point of view, social, economic, and religious, everything. So basically, you're cut out. In America, we may not be able to appreciate this as much, understand this as much. On my trip to Israel, speaking to the Israelis and, and, and our guide, he talked about us in the Middle East. We're very communal. Okay, It matters about our family connections. It matters about our, 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 our connections to the greater community. Now, we may be a little bit more privatized here, so we may not be able to understand this much, but I still think we can understand. This was everything. They would get cut out from society. All right, so although looking back 2,000 years later, what were you guys thinking, parents? Your son was healed. This was on their mind. This was burdening them. We cannot get kicked out of all of society as we know it. But also, in verse 2, do you guys recall what, uh, what the disciples asked? In verse 2 of chapter 9, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he would be born blind? So there's this prevailing Jewish idea or a worldview that perhaps God would punish people for sinning. And so these parents must have been riddled with guilt and perhaps what did we do for our son to be born this way who had to be relegated to be a beggar to be born blind? They must have been thinking about this a lot over the years. So as I think, thought, and prayed about the scripture, that, that verse came to mind. I thought, not only would they would get kicked out of this social system, social and economic network, they also would have got kicked out of their ability to be forgiven of their sins, forgiven of their guilt that's riddled them all their lives. This meant that they would be excluded from all sacred Jewish assemblies if they got kicked out of the synagogues. In essence, they would, be, uh, they would be excluded from all ritual sacrifices, which would mean they would have no access to divine forgiveness or acceptance to God. 
So this is significant for these, these parents. And they feared getting kicked out for, in the natural, it makes sense. But they were absolutely spiritually blind as well. They did not see Christ as their Savior. They saw the synagogue system as their Savior. And this is all satanic. All false religions are satanic, and all false religions are based on man's efforts. What do I have to do? What kind of rule-keeping do I have to do? How much money do I need to give? What do I, how much do I need to obey? How much do I need to pray? What do I need to do for God, for him to love me, for, for him to find me as worthy? This is satanic. This is all false religions. Check them all out. Christianity is very unique, very distinct. It's more about what has God done for me to make me righteous? What has God done to make me right with him? Very unique. And they believed in a lie, and this is what led them to this type of action. And But also, you see these threats that these religious rulers are doing to, the, to these parents and, and to all those who would profess Christ? They were going to kick them out. This is what you call a threat. This is persecution. This is coercion. This is trying to uh, have people do what you want to do to them by threatening them. This is persecution. And, you know, this led me to kind of investigate a little bit more. What is persecution like today? What is persecution like for the a church of Christ today around the world and locally here in the San Gabriel Valley? Well, we have, uh, we have missionaries that we support. We have Andy Pierce. We have uh, Elliot Snuggs, who's, who, who helps head up Asian Access. We have Ian and Sabrina in Japan. We have a missionary in East Asia. So we understand this. What, what, are, these th- what are the things that our people see and hear about? Okay, and uh, this led me to uh, investigate and led me to an organization called Open Doors. Open Doors is a organization to serve persecuted uh, Christians worldwide. They help give us a bird's eye view of what's going on outside of America. And according to their statistics, every month, 255 Christians are killed. Every month, 255 Christians are being killed. 104 are being abducted, kidnapped. 160 Christians every month are being detained without trial and imprisoned, imprisonment. You, you, you see death, you see uh, kidnapping, you see imprisonment. 66 churches are attacked monthly, terrorist-type attacks. According to their research, 215 million Christians are experiencing high levels of persecutions around the world. This is one out of 12 Christians. One out of 12 Christians are experiencing persecution around the world globally. And Open Doors uh, compiles like a, 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 what they call a world watch list, which ranks the top 50 uh, persecuted nations or top 50 places to be uh, hardest places to live as a Christian. And this is the top five. I'm not going to go through 50, but here's top, the top five. Number one on that list is this, North Korea. North Korea is number one on the list. Number two is Somalia. Number three is Afghanistan. Number four is Pakistan. Number five is Sudan. So there's persecuted Christians throughout the world going through death, imprisonment, families being separated, stuff that you read about in the book of Acts. And I know that since one part of the body is hurting, the whole body should feel it. Jesus is the head and we get to be part of his body. One part is hurting, the whole part feels it. 
Our role as Christians is to support and encourage our brothers and sisters around the world. Our role is to pray for them. Pray that God will strengthen them. Pray that they will experience relief. Pray that they will have favor amongst the people that they live amongst. Pray that God will use them to change the culture with the power of the gospel. So let's right now, let's take a break from the sermon. Let's pray. Let me just lead us in prayer. Let's pray fervently for our brothers and sisters around the world who are undergoing persecution. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this, uh, this word out of your Bible here, how these people were undergoing persecution by the Jews 2,000 years ago. But there's persecution alive and well right now to your church around the world. Father, we pray for strength for these, these dear brothers and sisters are, who are openly facing hostility from the enemy. God, strengthen them encourage them, exhort them to stay strong in you, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for relief. We pray for grace and favor to be given to these so that they will have favor around the people around them, favor with people they're looking to minister the gospel to. Father, may you use these lives to be glorified. May you use these lives to save many so that your kingdom will be expanded, so that the great commission will be fulfilled so that there will be greater joy in worship of you, Lord Jesus. So, Father, I pray you will give us a conviction for us at Evergreen SGV to pray for these, to remember them in our prayers, to support our brothers and sisters in any way we can. Jesus, you are the head. We get to be part of your body, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, persecution in the San Gabriel Valley. Persecution in SGV. What does that look like? You know, we talked about incredible, intense persecution globally, but there's still persecution in the San Gabriel Valley. What does that look like? Persecution in the San Gabriel Valley, if you name Christ, if you talk about biblical truth, you may be marginalized. People may call you homophobic or intolerant. They may call you backwards, unintelligent. You may see posts and uh, things on social media that make, make you feel marginalized. That could happen at school, in colleges. Will you contend for the faith? Will you tell, them tr- tell the people around truly what you believe? Professional persecution. If you claim Christ, if you do things the way Christ will have you do it, with integrity, with honesty, not submitting to evil requests, you could cap off your promotion level. You could risk uh, being employed. This could happen. Professional persecution. Familial. Perhaps you come from a Buddhist family, but you've chosen to follow Christ. Your relationships with mother and father, aunts and uncles have been strained, perhaps. I remember speaking to my uh, friend who's a, who's a Muslim and just talking to him about Christ and the gospel and said, what would keep you from wanting to follow Christ? He goes, well, my wife would leave me and my parents would disown me. So these are real things that people go through even in the San Gabriel Valley, even in the United States. How about our church as a whole at Evergreen SGV? The Lord has been gracious to us. Look at the, 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 the site that he's given us. Gracious. Acres and acres. Phenomenal what God's given us. What if? Things like such as AB 2943, which is a bill that's, gonna, that's it's on the verge of being passed up in Sacramento right now. 
that will prohibit people, counselors, pastors from speaking truth about sexual orientation? What if someday they say, you cannot proclaim the gospel, you cannot proclaim truth, you cannot preach the Bible? We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to preach Christ. But what if they say we're going to take away some tax, nonprofit uh, uh, benefits that you guys have been enjoying? What if they say they make it so hard that they take the property away from us? What will we do, Evergreen SUV? Will we remain faithful? So these are real things that's going on globally and also locally. These are real things. And I just want to just give us a word of encouragement through the Bible. And um, anytime you need encouragement, go to the Bible. I mean, of course, you look for prayer from others. You go to godly counsel. But go to the Bible. The truth, the Bible will give you the greatest encouragement here. Matthew 10. Turn to Matthew 10 if you have your Bibles with you. Matthew 10, verse 28. <clears throat> this is a word to all disciples. He starts speaking to the 12 disciples, and then he, makes it, he opens it up to all the disciples. All of us, 2,000 years later, he's talking to us. This is he, meaning Jesus, our Lord. He's talking to us about being a disciple. Disciple is synonymous with Christian. Disciple is synonymous with believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Disciple is synonymous with saved one, saint. Okay, there's no varsity Christian which says, I'm a disciple, and junior varsity Christian, no, I'm not really following him very well. Either you're a disciple or you're not. Now, I get it. We don't follow Christ perfectly. None of us do. But are you looking to follow Christ? Is he Lord? So this is what God says here. And I believe this is, this is a challenging word from the Lord, but I believe there's incredible encouragement here. So let's take time to look at uh, Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The Bible says right here in through, through our Lord's uh, words, do not fear those who only kill the body. Do not fear man. Do not fear those who could take your job away. Do not fear those who could be, who leave you friendless. Do not fear those who could take your money away. Do not fear those who could take your home or your freedom away. This is only what man could do. The worst thing that man could do is to kill you because there's something worse Bible says, fear him who is able to destroy both, both soul and body in hell. Fear God, Jesus is saying. Because not only will you die, he will judge you to hell, in eternal hell. That's a worse fate than dying. Fear God, not man. Let's keep reading verse 32. Therefore, I mean, uh, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many spirits. You're more valuable. The church is more valuable than anything of all created order. Jesus paid with his own blood to redeem you and me, to buy us back for him. He cares more for you than anything else that's created. Verse 32, therefore, because you're more valuable, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But here's the, here's the opposite. But whoever de denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. This is no unclear terms. The Bible says we must confess Christ before men. 
in no unclear terms, right there, are, are by, our, by the Lord. Jesus makes it very clear in verse 34 and 35 and 36 here. He did not come to unify people. He came to divide. Verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Jesus said there's only two teams. You're either on my team or everybody else. You're either with me or you're not. And Jesus is the most polarizing uh, individual that's ever walked the earth. Right? There, there's no gray area. You're either with him or you're not. And I, I just find this incredibly encouraging because right here in verse 37, 38, 39, our Lord makes it clear. What does it mean to be a disciple in our hearts? He who loves mother, father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, this life on this earth. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. What is the most important thing in our lives? Obviously, father and mother are good things in our lives. Our children, our sons and daughters are good things in our lives. Our jobs are good things in our lives. Well, our Lord is saying, you cannot love these things more than me. I command, I demand to be at the top of your life. And everything else is in its order. So Jesus is demanding that he will be the greatest treasure in our entire lives. Unrivaled. And as this man... Going back to this blind man in John chapter 9, this man chose the Lord. What did he give up? He chose the Lord over what his parents thought. He chose the Lord over, over the synagogue. He got kicked out of the synagogue system. He chose the Lord over relationships that he might have been having. He chose the Lord over this Jewish life that he was a part of. He chose the Lord of perhaps stop being a beggar for once in his life and having gainful employment. He chose Christ. His spiritual blindness is starting to get less and less. And this is the principle that's coming out of John chapter 9 here. Who I fear the most, I will obey. The rulers, the Pharisees, they trusted in man-made religion. They trusted in this more than Christ. Although the evidence was overwhelming. They go, no, 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 I don't see it. They didn't see it, evidently, obviously. The parents... Who, in this moment, perhaps they come to know the Lord later, but in this moment, they're absolutely spiritually blind. So, no, 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 we choose the synagogue system. I, I know our son, who we love, is seeing now, but nah, I don't see it. Jesus is not more important than the synagogue system. They are absolutely blind. So the, the issue is, is, what captures you the most? These were the most important things to the, the, these two groups of people. If you care mostly about your career advancement, if you care more about your public uh, reputation, if you care more about your family more, if you care more about money, if you care more about convenience, you obey whatever it takes to secure these things. These are the things you will serve more than Christ. 
And this is, a, this, is, this is the lie. Satan, from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, tempted Eve from in the garden and said, hey, take this fruit. This will fulfill you. This will satisfy you more than God. Okay, let me try that out. We see how that worked out. The lie is that something of this world, even good things, doesn't have to be some outward sinful things, competes in our hearts for being more important than Christ. Now, final word of persecution. There is a positive to persecution. Any of us have experienced any level of persecution, there is a positive to it. No one wants this. No one asks for this. But there is a positive. This is the positive. When the rubber meets the road, it will reveal what you actually believe. Amongst this room, we're Christians. We're, I think, in an air-conditioned room. All right, we're sitting in cushioned chairs. All right, I love Jesus. But when persecution stares at you right in the face, what will you say? And by God's grace, you say, Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord and Savior. You must know him too. So repent so you can have what I have. By God's grace, you will see this. If your boss says, I don't want you to be this way, what will you say? Okay, boss. Or will you say, Jesus is the biggest part of who I am. If you don't want that, you shouldn't have me here. And I'm going to pray for you because I love you. By God's grace, you will say this. When the rubber meets the road, it, God shows us, proves it to us. Do you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? Do you think God was testing Abraham to see what Abraham was thinking? Or do you think Abraham was being shown what he actually believed? God was showing, proving to Abraham, yes, you do love me more than Isaac, your precious son that I gave you. There is a benefit to persecution. And let, let's just go back to this blind man here, okay? Second round, round two of interrogation, all right? Verse 24, they ask him, give, they tell him, give glory to God. Basically, tell us that he's a sinner. That gives God glory. They're speaking for God. Say, this is going to glorify God by claiming that this man's a sinner. But I love verse 25. I mean, I just got to take time to read this. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And this absolutely staggers the Pharisees as I take the right upper hook to their jaw. They're staggered against the ropes and they can't respond with anything intelligent. Now they have to repeat their questions all over again. Uh, how did he do it again? And this man is just starting to get irritated. I told you already. He starts to speak to these religious rulers and they reviled him, they insulted him. He goes, he, the, the man says, do you want to be his disciples too? And he goes, we're not his disciples. We're disciples of Moses. And this verse 30 is absolute dripping with sarcasm. I'm going to just take time to read this. The Bible's so good. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. Are you kidding me, he's saying. Are you kidding me? Are you the teachers of, the, uh, of Israel, the religious rulers? You don't understand? Me, an uneducated beggar, he understands this. He healed me. I was born blind. Now I can see. And you, don't, you think this guy is a sinner? You don't think this guy is from God? What are you thinking? Are you kidding me? 
And the blind beggar, the formerly blind beggar, turns the tables on, uh, on these teachers, and he starts to teach him now. He's, it's a role reversal. I'm gonna, let me take this time and opportunity to teach you now. Verse 32 says, Since the beginning of time, this is the blind man saying to the Pharisees, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. He's basically reminding them. Don't you remember in Isaiah, says that, uh, that the Messiah will restore the blind man to seeing? Because in their spiritual blindness, the Pharisees who were experts of the Old Testament forgot that there's prophecy that said that the Messiah will restore vision. He has them. The man just about to knock these guys out. God does, in verse 3, God doesn't hear sinners. Jesus is from God. And then look what the response is. They, they have no response. Nothing. This is when you know they, they've been defeated when all they do resort to is massive insult, right? You know this. You know this. We've, we've been in enough conversations and verbal confrontations. When we got the upper hand, this is what it resorts to by the other side. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin. And are you teaching us? Right? So they put him out. They kicked him out. They, they kicked him out. This is what happened to this man. They were kicked out of the synagogue. But this man was willing to suffer that because he knew that Christ was better. I'm going to have take Christ over this. This dead religion did nothing for me anyway. It left me as a beggar, and they called me a sinner, left destined to go to hell. He knew this. This, this blind man saw more clearly than all the people with good uh, two sets of eyes. It left him begging at the gate of the temple, hoping that someone dropped him some crumbs, and he, people were asking, are you a sinner or are your parents sinners? Left them hopeless. He knew this. Now, this is what I want to encourage our church family for. We don't have a big synagogue system in our church in the San Gabriel Valley per se, but we have other things. We have social networks, we have work stuff, we have a lot of groups that we're part of. Do not fear these things. Do not fear losing your job. Fear Christ. Fear, revere Christ. See him as the greater one. See him as the greatest one. See him as your greatest treasure that you cannot stand to lose. And I want to encourage you guys, those of us who walk through persecution, any level, and, you, and God's graciously allowed you to walk boldly and, and confidently, praise God. Let that be an encouragement to you that you are a disciple. And perhaps if you have been sitting here on the other end, cowering to these persecutions, Repent. Simply repent. And let me read this to you, okay? Let me read this to you. Remember, some of, most of us, a lot of us got to go to the all-church conference. It was a phenomenal time. And one of the things that we got to preach on was Joshua 1.9, as, as Israelites transitioned to the promised land. This is what the Bible says. Have I not commanded you? Imperative command. God is commanding Joshua now. Do uh, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is a, a command, imperative command. And he says this, do not tremble or be dismayed. Part of the command, do not be fearful or be dismayed. Why? Why? How can I be the strong and kind? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, the Bible says. So, so for those of us who have cowered under those, uh, those moments of persecution, just ask God for encouragement. Ask God for strength. It isn't by your strength. It isn't by our, our own determination, our own wisdom, our own uh, knowledge of the Bible. It's by God's grace that we could be bold and proclaim Christ with power and conviction in the face of persecution. 
Because what God is asking us to do right there is a very unnatural thing. What, what the Pharisees and the parents did was very natural. Very natural. Very calculated, very pragmatic. It makes sense. I see why they did it in the natural. But what God is calling us to is do something unnatural, supernatural. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we do this. So let's just pray. I'm going to ask the Lord to give us this uh, supernatural courage, conviction that Christ is better than anything else. Okay, so let's pray, church family. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you are good. Thank you that you don't leave us as children in the world by ourselves, but that you are with us. Thank you that you promise to give us strength. You promise to be with us no matter what. So, Father, I pray for the saints in here. I thank you for the saints in here who have been bold, who have been courageous by your grace to speak about you in the face and represent and live for you in the face of persecution. Father God, I pray for those of us who may have even cowered in, in the face of some form of persecution. God, I pray we, you would stir in their hearts to repent and cry out to you and say, Lord, I need more. I need more of you. And all other things will dissolve like snow in their hearts and minds that you will just be lifted up and you will be seen as greater than anything else. So, Father God, I pray this for our church family at Evergreen SGV, your church family at Evergreen SGV, that we will be men and women, boys and girls who, have, who are strong and courageous because we know that you are with us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.